Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Great Obsession podcast. I'm Riley and I'm drinking a hot cocoa. Oh my gosh, I'm Sam and I'm also drinking a hot cocoa except I have the Starbucks hot chocolate. Have you oh, ever me too. that? <gasps> no way. I have wow. it. I, I feel like hot chocolate is going to become our new <laughs> oh, yeah. episode. We're yeah, drinking you're going to be catching a lot of hot chocolates from my end. This winter. <laughs> yes. Well, today we're talking about Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros, the not super long-awaited sequel of Fourth Wing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this came up so quickly, actually, after Fourth Wing came out. But we're super excited to talk about this because, I mean, we really enjoyed reading Fourth Wing. There's been a lot of hype about this book online i attended a uh, midnight release for it which was super fun i feel like it's you know the, the hype online about the series is really bringing excitement back into reading um bringing mm-hmm. the book community back to life and i'm really happy about that before we give you any spoilers though uh i think sam and i want to give you a little rundown of what the tone of this episode might be <laughs> Because let me tell you, it's not going to be like squealing, giggling, kicking our feet, fangirling. It's, it's, it's like I wanted this book to be that. And it just... The first book was good, clean, fun. Mm-hmm. And this book, I think it tried to get a little more serious while also still being fun. And it just, in my uh, humble opinion, didn't quite shake out as well as I think the author hoped that it would. Yes, that's, uh, I think, a long way of saying that this is going to be a semi-critical episode. Yes. And uh, if you loved this book, you are riding dying for Iron Flame. I love that for you. This is maybe not the episode for you because we are going to be a little bit critical. Hopefully not negative, but... Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we both enjoyed it and are glad we read it and we'll read the next one, but... Mm -hmm. We um, we have some thoughts. We Yeah, we have some notes. We have some notes. So initial rating, do you have one? So, well, first of all, I read this book. I think this is important. I finished this book about a week ago. So I have been sitting with it for almost a full seven days. And I've also talked to a lot of people, a lot of friends, other fellow book people and... So I feel like I've had, I've really sat in this for a while and I am going to give it a 4.5. I have only been sitting with this book for about 24 hours. So it's kind of hard for me to come up with an initial rating, but just based off of my feelings, (laughs) I also think I'm going to land around a 4.5. We'll see where the conversation takes us. So from here, if anyone listening, if you haven't read the book, leave and come back when you have because we are about to get into spoilers for both fourth wing and iron flame when we discuss also we gave it a 4.5 out of 10 yeah it feels like important context that is very important context (laughs) i didn't even think of that not out of five this is not 4.5 stars this is like two stars (laughs) yeah yes okay all right so Do we want to sort of start out with things that we did enjoy about this book? Yes, I do. I think uh, (laughs) I was going to say something and then I really like second guessed myself. I'll say it anyway and maybe qualify a little bit. 
I think it was well paced like the first one. It did have more slow moments than the first one. So I found that Mm -hmm. it was a little bit harder to get through. However, I mean, the action scenes are still fun to read. And uh, anytime there was action going on, I was seated. I was... Mm-hmm. I was completely invested. I also think we started getting a little bit more development with Violet's character. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, we can get into that more in a second, but <laughs> I don't know. We we got a little bit more character development with Violet, I think, than we did in the first one. She took a little bit more of a center stage role. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree we got um, to see Violet's sort of friendships develop a little bit more, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, we got some reoccurring side characters who were in the first book and then continue on to be in the second book and got to see some of them a bit more. Yeah, we got some nice banter yeah. sometimes. Some, between the squad or like between the dragons yes i was gonna say the dragons continued to be a standout addition for me um i liked teenage andara i thought that was so silly um yeah it was super fun <laughs> but i found it like endearing and kind of goofy and i liked Taren as i always do um we saw it felt like more dragons in this book. Like, I felt like there was just, like, a lot more dragon interaction mm-hmm. aside from just Tarn, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I also enjoyed the introduction of the Griffin yes. and their flyers. I thought that was kind of a fun, interesting dynamic shift. I would agree the action is definitely Rebecca Yaros's strong suit um Mm -hmm. particularly when it's more like hand-to-hand combat like on the ground action i think is a strength yes yes um i thought it was interesting how we added in like the infantry bit was sort of minor but i did think that like just learning more about what they were supposed to be learning in second year was kind of interesting to me so yeah, I thought that there were some continuations of Fourth Wing that we saw get a little bit more fleshed out in this book, which I enjoyed, and the pacing was good. And it wasn't as good as the first book. No. The pacing wasn't. I I was, gonna, but it was it was okay. I, I know I was like, oh, try and stay. I wanted to be like more positive, but this book did run a little bit long. I yeah. think it would have benefited from some editing. There were some sections that, like the inventory section, which I just said I did really enjoy, completely unnecessary for this book. You could have cut out that entire section. Yes. And it would have been fine. Um, So I think there was a lot of stuff, especially in the beginning, that just didn't really need to be there. That being said, it wasn't as if I was bored per se. I was just not desperate to like find out what happened next. You know, it wasn't like a page turner. Yeah, which the first book was. And mm-hmm. I think it's it can be hard to do that with a sequel because a lot of the fun of the first book is like getting to know the world. And now we know the world. It is a fun world to be in. I like like you said, I love the dragons. Mm-hmm. Um I like the idea of the like the Bazgaith school and it's so cutthroat and you know, I liked seeing what the second years get to learn versus what the first years get to learn, like what you said. Uh, but it, 
I think we tried to explore more of the world in this book Mm -hmm. and some of that was fun but other times it felt unnecessary like the infantry bit or like the when they went to um what's that province called Caldir where it was basically described as if it was Greece yeah (laughs) it was like pools and everything was made of marble I was like okay so we're in Greece uh felt a little bit unnecessary (laughs) yeah the the entire luminary subplot was actually unnecessary yeah so like you said could have benefited from editing but overall was a fun continuation of fourth wing i think though that can take us into a discussion about the world building Mm -hmm. because i feel like while there were some fun aspects of you know like we're starting to expand the world in this story i also think this is where Rebecca Yaros maybe bit off a little more than she could chew mm-hmm. um, because we we really have some questions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and I think for me, the world building struggles were the part was the piece that took me out of the story the most. Yeah, I found some of the world building. The clunkiness of the world building and inconsistency to actually make this story hard to follow at some points mm-hmm. because I didn't understand the world. And we can start with the magic system, which gets much broader, significantly broader in this book than it was in Fourth Wing. And mm-hmm. I think part of – so in Fourth Wing – The magic system is very simple. It's basically dragons have magic and humans channel that magic. And then Mm -hmm. the venom are stealing their magic from the earth. And like when they do that, it kills everything around them. And that's why they've gone dark and they're evil. It's a very simple sort of basic magic system. And it makes it really easy to buy into this world because it's so straightforward it's it's un, you can understand it easily it's easy to like get invested in that yeah this in this book in iron flame she tried to expand on that magic in a lot of different ways and i think that if maybe we had only done it in one or two of those ways and got a bit deeper it would have been okay mm-hmm. um but For this, we're getting signet powers that have no clear boundaries. Um, Griffins are suddenly in the picture and their flyers are using magic, but it's not the same as a signet power, but they're also seem to be just as powerful as signet powers, only they're in your mind. Um, Yeah. The lesser magic is assumed but not explained. We also don't have any boundaries on that runes are introduced which i think was a that's like a whole can of worms of like magic that had never been previously mentioned in the series and then we also get more venom and in particular we find out that jack barlow was a venom and magic somehow brought him back to life and it's very unclear all of these things are just sort of thrown in and we are given no explanation no background no connecting like overarching magic system that ties all of this together it's just very much so 
feels a little bit like she was just throwing like darts at a wall on the, like a bingo card of magic. Like what's going to be magical now? Mm-hmm. And it starts to get confusing because things don't add up and they don't make sense. Yeah. I think that you and I as fantasy readers really like to not have to suspend our disbelief all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think if like someone reading this, who's maybe a new reader to fantasy, I could see how, because like there's all these new plot twists, like new magic. Oh, Rhiannon pulls a knife through the wall. Oh, we have runes now. It's like, wee new magic. It's fun. And if you just suspend your disbelief, it's fun. But I, I feel like, the whole story, I was constantly taken out of the story because of how much I had to suspend my disbelief. Mm-hmm. I had to be like, wait, since when can we move solid objects through walls? All right, we're moving on. Because I just, it's not explained. And so I think that's where, um, again, maybe this is like a, a taste thing for why this really bothered us so much. But really anywhere that you try to dig into this magic system and explain it, it just gets more and more confusing. <laughs> yes. And I think that's particularly true with the runes. Yeah. I I can buy into this initial thought that runes exist in this world and they were used to create the ward stones. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's basic. If we consider runes to be ancient and just sort of pre-existing all of these characters, right? Mm-hmm. But what we get is basically they're like, oh, yeah, we've actually had runes this whole time. And all of the marked ones have been using runes this whole time. And, yeah. like, we all know about it. Why don't you? And, like, anybody can make a rune and you can make a rune of whatever you want. And, like, there's no boundaries, essentially, on rune making. The, the idea that information also has been so tightly controlled that only these like 60 people know how to make runes, even though an entire state knew all about runes just like 10 years ago prior to the rebellion doesn't make any sense. No. And we introduce with this rune, the runes, the idea that these characters can pull magic from inside themselves and they can visually see it outside of their bodies and then shape it into something Mm -hmm. which once again if you haven't read a ton of fantasy I think it's very easy to just like suspend disbelief on that and be like magic is magic whatever but yeah that to me feels like a fundamentally different type of magic than what we have been setting up for all of the previous um, world building up until that point. Yes. Because it makes the magic like tangible all of a sudden. Like, okay, right. we can see magic and we can shape it into things. That Magic was never like a tangible like right. substance. And now it is suddenly. And what confuses me more is I operate under this assumption that humans are just conduits for magic yes and then the rune creation implies that humans can do something beyond just being conduits they can remove it from themselves 
and manipulate it. Oh, that's such a good point. Outside of themselves, which goes way beyond just directing magic here and there. And so I, I think it was just sort of stuff like that where it felt a little bit like Rebecca Yaros didn't have a plan in mind for her magic system. Yeah. Which is fair. I mean, I like especially if you write a first book and it's a surprise hit and you're like, whoa, I just did a baseline magic system and I didn't really think about it that much. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think she just maybe tried to do too much with the magic in this book rather than laying more foundation for what the magic in this world actually was that it mm-hmm. it it just leaves it, there's so many holes and the more magic gets used in this world throughout the rest of the series the more holes there's going to be Agreed. I would have liked to see us build upon the magic system that was established mm-hmm. in Fourth Wing because I liked it. I liked, okay, humans can tra- channel this magic that comes from the dragons, which we don't have to understand like Agreed. the source of the magic or how it works. We just understand that it manifests as these signet powers. And I think it would have been cool if we explored the boundaries of those signet powers a little bit more. Um, and I think she tried to do that a little bit, but it ended up still being confusing because Violet is really the only character that we ever see deal with burnout. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we don't know if other characters have to deal with that. And we also see Zayden suddenly manifesting, or not manifesting, he already had it, a second signet power, which was something that, like, we never previously understood to be possible. And it's just kind of explained away as like, oh, bloodlines. And so you're kind of like, since when? And he's been hiding it this whole time. That's just like... as a whole new element to his character that was confusing. So, you know, I really think that maybe the story would have benefited from more thought and care put into the actual boundaries of the existing magic system instead of adding new types of powers to it, mm-hmm. like the runes, because it, yeah, it really did not make sense. Yeah. And I think it's hard too to sort of like, to buy in to characters and storylines and like the severity of situations because it's like anybody could have any power possible. Like there's no yeah boundaries on It's not elemental. No, or no. Anything like that. And it's like, oh, we have violet wielding lightning but then we have cat who increases your emotions and then we have varish who can see your greatest weaknesses and then we have her mom who makes it rain and it's like this is like there's just so much range and there's mm-hmm. no particular rhyme or reason we're supposed to sort of buy into this idea that signet powers manifest in the writers based on like whatever the writer's personality is mm-hmm. which i i'm like okay that's kind of interesting but also we don't get to know any of the characters well enough aside from violet to really understand why their signet power would match their personality like ryan on like pulling a dagger through the wall what does that say about her personality right we don't that right that doesn't mean anything and so I, I think 
that's the only, and that's a boundary that only exists for writers. It, like it doesn't exist for flyers, no, or venom, or lesser magics, and so it it yeah, it's too broad. Not enough boundaries. It makes it seem like this magic system isn't real, which is like a stupid thing to say because it's obviously a <laughs> fantasy book. None of this is real. It's fiction. But there are other series where the magic systems feel real because yes. it's a system and you can understand. Maybe you don't understand where the magic comes from, but like in the Grisha verse, like you understand that the, the different Grisha have these different types of elemental powers and that's the limit. And so I think without limits, it becomes, yeah. like you said, it, it, it takes you out of the story and reminds you that you're reading fiction. Yes. Which I don't love. Um, along with that, <laughs> we need to talk about the the mechanics of the venom and Jack Barlow <laughs> surviving and becoming a venom. because I'm so sorry. What was that? What was that? That plot twist, like... Uh, I think she was, I think Yaros was really trying to give us lots of fun plot twists. And while they did keep me reading, because I was like, what the fuck? Jack Barlow's <laughs> alive? It wasn't like, like the type of plot twist that feels like you should have seen it coming. And I right. feel like that's what makes a plot twist good, is when it feels sort of inevitable mm-hmm. when, when you're looking back. And here, it just feels wildly batshit crazy. Yes. No, Jack Barlow coming back is the most unhinged thing to happen. And the thing is, is like he comes back and then he dies again. So he's there's no you could have accomplished everything that happened in this book without ever bringing Jack Barlow back to life. Right. We should have had another character who was secretly Venom the whole time. And the thing is, is like what this what she's the door that's opened up is did Jack Barlow survive a lightning strike and a rock fall because he was Venom? Did being Venom bring him back to life? Or do the signet power writers have the ability to bring people back to life? And if so, why has none of this ever played out before? Like, bringing a character back to life and not providing any explanation for how it happened is insane and it's unnecessary that's what kills me it's yeah so unnecessary it was unnecessary hold on something is clicking for me though maybe you're gonna watch me figure this out in real time can't wait because you you just reminded me that jack barlow was venom before he died Mm-hmm. So before Sam and I got on the mic, we went back into fourth wing and we read the scene in the gym in fourth wing when Violet and Jack Barlow fight. And there is a descriptor there that Violet looks into his eyes and they are rimmed in red mm-hmm. and he's pushing power into her. That's making her feel pain and it feels wrong. And so it's, we kind of were able to go back and see, okay, it actually was set up from the beginning that he was, supposed to be venom before he died so isn't the thing with venom that they can't be killed except by dragon fire or by that daggers with that metal alloy okay but she kills all of those venom in fourth wing with her lightning strike does she not oh is it lightning that can kill them 
I'm oh, pretty shit. sure she's- I guess we don't know what can kill them. Uh, she like <laughs> strikes them down with lightning. You're right. You're and right. that's how she they does. die, which is the exact same thing she did to Jack Barlow. Oh, does she strike him with lightning or does he just get crushed by a rock fall? I mean, I guess I- But see, here's the thing. We have to sit here and we have to go back and find exact pages to read a single sentence in an 800-page book just to try to determine what the heck is happening in this book. And that that is like a signal to me that this system is not clear enough. Yes, because it should have been made clear when he did come back to life as to exactly – how like Violet should have been like, oh wait, he was venom, and he was crushed by rocks, which means he was able to not actually die. Yeah, but she doesn't really have. She's just like, oh shit, he's alive. <laughs> and right. we're like, okay. uh, there is a sort of element where I'm like, does Rebecca Yaros want us, like, want to be mysterious enough with these things that we don't know, like? We don't see these things coming and as such is failing to adequately explain important aspects of this world or is it just an oversight that these things are not being explained? I don't know. Right, right. Because, you know, sometimes that's a, that's a plot device is like withholding information from the reader on purpose so that you're surprised. But this doesn't really feel like that to me. It just feels like she's withholding information because she doesn't know how to explain it. I would agree. I'm sorry. This is really actually going to bug me. I'm, I'm looking up the Jack Barlow death scene really quick. Okay. Wait, okay, okay. It says, A scream rips from my throat as lightning splits the sky with a terrifying crack of thunder. The bluish streak of silver death slams into the tower and sparks flare as it explodes in a blast of stone. Jack falls down the mi- mountainside in an avalanche of rock that I know he can't survive. From the way Bade cries beneath us, she knows it too. Okay, so he's, he's being rocks crushed him. by a rock slide and not directly struck by li- lightning. Yeah. Okay, so that should have been explained. Violet should have remembered that to us in her inner monologue so that we didn't have to go back and look up the exact wording in Fourth Wing. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah that was really baffling but i guess the story makes a little bit more sense now because i thought that nolan the mender made him had had mended jack back to life i literally thought he was dead and nolan brought his soul back into his body and i was like (laughs) necromancy since when well but so but then it like not that we need to go into this this is opening up a whole can of worms i'm just begging you the listener Think on this for a little while. Like, think about the logistics of this. Because this implies then that they found Jack and they were like, he's still alive, but also is part Venom because Nolan clearly knew he was Venom. And then they heal him up and, like, are experimenting on him or they're releasing him back into society. I don't know. There's a lot of questions there about then what what were Nolan and Varish thinking with Jack Barlow, if they they had to have known at this point that he was Venom. Oh, that's a good point because they had to, like, they were actively trying to fix the fact that he was Venom. I'm pretty sure that's what Nolan was doing, and it wasn't working. So then, why were they letting him go out and function in society instead of holding him prisoner when he's clearly a menace? 
I don't know. Like we're the, getting out in the weeds. Yeah. We don't. Anyways, we said we weren't we going to do this. Here we are. Um, uh, it's hard to resist because it's so frustrating. I will say the talking about the venom is like a good segue into my other big world building beef. And maybe honestly bigger than the magic system for me was that the political world here and therefore the overarching plot of this series does not actually make sense when you dig into it the motivations of each group of people in this world are not clear yes i think this book really drove it home because in in fourth wing basically we're setting up we only have the perspective of never and what never wants you to know and violet is very gradually sort of unraveling a conspiracy theory right that's mm-hmm. really interesting. That's very, you know, it's it's very much so fact gathering, setting up this conspiracy theory that she finds out is true at the end. And that's where we leave off in Fourth Wing. Mm-hmm. And in Iron Flame, we're supposed to be, in theory, expanding on why Nevaeh is keeping this a secret about the mm-hmm. Venom and why the rebellion exists. And we don't actually know either of those things so first of all what is Nevers' goal what do they gain by keeping the venom a secret silence crickets we don't we don't know we, we don't know like they're i think we're meant to understand that they're trying to protect the navarian people essentially by burying their heads in the sand and pretending that the venom don't exist and thereby allowing the rest of the continent to be decimated by the venom while Navarre lives safely under its wards. And they don't want the people to know about that because they think people will be upset. However, this starts to fall apart when you realize that Poromiel, the country next to them, becoming decimated just means that the venom gain more power and therefore have, like, they would have more power over all of the Paromish outposts that are near the Navarian outposts, which would then make them much more powerful and more likely to be able to take Navarre in a war. And so I don't understand, yeah, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense why these political leaders who are supposedly so powerful would think that it's a good idea to just pretend that this threat doesn't exist when it's very clearly a big threat to their national security. Well, and not only do they pretend it does not exist, but they somehow miraculously managed to do a complete shutdown of any and all information, despite the fact that a huge portion of their population flies over other countries and their boundaries at any given time. And the fact that it's like no writer has ever seen anything sus or heard anything sus and they have completely stopped importing and exporting from any other neighboring country and the entire nation is unaware of this or does not care is like fundamental state economics 101 doesn't make sense it like actively 
either they are in an extreme authoritative dictatorship, which we don't really see that in the first book. No. That does not seem to be the case. They're more or less, you know, they're in a military academy, which of course has its structures. But as people, they're fairly flexible. They can move around. They can do whatever. And yet somehow every book that's related to this information has been burned and the information keeping from the people doesn't make logistic sense and it doesn't make strategic sense. Yeah. So then along with, we don't understand Navarre's goal. By the way, listeners, I'm sorry. Sam and I are going to pronounce some of the words (laughs) and names in this book differently. And I just don't even want to deal with it. (laughs) So you have to deal with it. Um, Navarre's goal is supposedly to pretend this threat doesn't exist. And then the rebel's goal is to make sure that everyone knows that this threat exists. So what? So so the Navarre can fight it? But I don't know. The, the rebel's goal is also really unclear. And yes, in some ways, I think the rebel's goal is more unclear. Because either... The rebels are trying to do what the Navarre leadership is not willing to, which is fight the venom, protect the continent. Mm-hmm. Or the rebels' goal is to overthrow the Navarre leadership and therefore, through that mechanism, sort of like free themselves from the oppression of the Navarre and then, I guess, also defeat the venom. The problem is we reach this point in the book where General Melgren, who can see the future, reaches out to the rebels and says, hey, we know that we're going to lose this battle and our wards are going to fall. Will you please help us? And the rebellion leadership says no, because they're like, oh, you didn't come and help us against the venom, so now we're not going to help you. Which implies that the rebellion just wants to be independent of Navarre and just yeah. like wants the destruction of Navarre and doesn't care that, once again, as we talked about previously, the more ground the Venon gain, the more powerful they are and a threat to the entirety of this continent. So if you're out to get the Venon, then you would go and you would help Navarre maintain their wards if you're out to protect your own like gain independence from Navarre then you would leave them to their own devices so which one is it like are you it doesn't make any sense what the rebellion is actually trying to achieve and I think the fact that we never get a clear articulation from Zayden or Brennan of what Mm -hmm. the goal of this rebellion is makes this plot so convoluted and really challenging to buy into because Mm -hmm. we bring in the griffin riders as well Mm -hmm. and then that sort of begs the question of what role are the griffin riders playing in this rebellion i don't know because i don't know the purpose of said rebellion right what are they helping them do like how does this help the griffin riders Besides defeat the venom, like the purpose here clearly is defeat the venom. But who is united against? It seems like we should all be united against the venom, and we're not. And that's what's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the divisions are. Yeah, I I think you I think you've articulated it well. Is that we just don't know 
who is going against who. It's like very unclear and why they're going against each other is also unclear. I don't know. I'm going to make things more confusing if I talk more. All that to say. Yeah. (laughs) All that to say the world, the political intrigue and structure really falls apart the moment you start asking questions. It just really starts to unravel in your brain and it's really hard to go back once that starts. Which is important because that's what makes it hard to buy into the story because you don't really have an understanding of what the stakes are. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is part of what made this a frustrating read is because the whole time I didn't really understand what we were fighting for. Yeah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) let's transition a little bit away from world building and into characters. So like we sort of said earlier, Violet's our lead character. It's in her POV. And she really takes center stage in this book. Um, In Fourth Wing, it was very much so kind of her interactions with other people, particularly Mm -hmm. her and Vaden, Zayden, (laughs) and um, just sort of sort of unraveling this conspiracy theory was like the main focus. And in this book, because Zayden is a way on duty wherever he is he's deployed i don't know but Mm -hmm. she only sees him every seven days so the bulk of the first half of the book is really violet on her own Mm -hmm. which i do really appreciate like you said we get some budding character arc moments we see her and her squad really come together and coalesce we get a lot of really great um like friendship and banter and we get to know those characters a bit better Mm -hmm. um however (laughs) however uh violet is a challenging lead character uh she's pretty inconsistent and her inconsistency and honestly sort of the lack of logic in her character makes her pretty intangible mm-hmm. and just like difficult in general to feel invested in, I think. Yeah, I know in the, our fourth wing episode, we talked about how in this series, there's a lot of telling and not showing. Mm. And in this story, we are told that Violet is, I mean, in both books, we're told that she's so smart and she was training to be a scribe her whole life. And so she has more knowledge of their history than anyone else. And she's such a genius and she would have been the leader of the scribes, but nothing that she does is nope. smart. She's little so dumb, dumb. She's really dumb. I mean, her internal monologue, we already went over this in the fourth wing episode, but it's so juvenile and it continues to be that way. I had hoped it would improve in this book and it just, it really doesn't. And I, I think it makes it frustrating because we're supposed to be reading this, you know, this is supposed to be a, like adult fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be YA, but it just reads so YA in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a lot of YA that you read, we at least will mentally sort of age up the characters because they're in such mature circumstances and they're usually pretty mature themselves that it's like, oh... This book says you're 17, but in my mind, you're 22. Mm -hmm. And in this book, 
it's like, oh, she's 21 or whatever. But in my mind, she's 15. Like, yeah, all of these characters, I really mentally age down because they just sound so immature. And it is jarring because they're doing and saying adult language. But like, everything else about them is giving big teen energy and it's just like very it's like vaguely off-putting for me it's like giving teenagers really trying to sound like they're adults like the excessive swearing Mm -hmm. saying fuck every other sentence like it's supposed to give a character a voice when you choose to use certain language and it's not in this one it's just giving like they're trying to sound really adult by being like fuck you the fuck you're gonna beat me in battle like i know it's supposed to read as like so badass and it doesn't it just reads like a teenager a 15 year old who thinks that they're really badass (laughs) yes that's exactly it um yeah and that's that's a challenging one to read it's just not the best yeah um i don't love it i could see why teenagers would like this book but that's not supposed to be the target art audience i mean that there are explicit sex scenes in this book. I know, I know. And it's that's what I mean. It's like there's some moments where it's like this is a YA book that they just so desperately wanted to be adult that they threw in some scenes that could only exist in adult books to like age it up. But other than that, it's YA. Yeah, the decision making here is just really, really Real poor. Bad. really juvenile really frustrating when you're supposed to be rooting for these characters and they just keep actively choosing to do things that make no sense i know i yeah like thinking about violet just deciding to like rush off to that other country because zayden won't let her get the luminary or whatever and she's like i'm gonna do it anyways with no thought and i'm not gonna tell anyone and it's like yeah okay that's a great idea that's that's peak 15 year old right there that's not an adult making a choice that's a teenager not thinking things through Mm -hmm. or like violet realizing towards the end of the book that she's never tried aiming her lightning oh my gosh because This was so crazy to me because in Fourth Wing, that's something that comes up in the final battle with the Venon is she's like, oh, shit, I can't aim my lightning. So I'm actually not as useful in this battle as I'd like to be. So you'd think the logical conclusion is she would come back and be like, "Okay, Professor Carr is not going to teach me to aim my lightning. So I guess I'm going to have to figure it out myself or ask someone else. But instead, she comes back and Professor Carr is like, you know what will make you more powerful? Striking as many lightnings as you can in an hour. And she she's, just has no thoughts. She doesn't question authority and she just goes with it, which is very 15-year-old. Like mm-hmm. you do what your authority figures in school tell you to do and expect that it's right. And so it's that was really frustrating because she's supposed to be so smart and she really doesn't think things through at all. No, and I think that even it sort of bleeds into the main conflict with Zayden over the entire course of this book. It's like the rinse and repeat argument of these like trust issues that she has with him. And she's also convinced (sighs) for like three fourths of the book that he doesn't love her. And like, 
I was I, so baffled by that. I don't know if Rebecca Yaros was trying to be like, oh, she has low self-esteem and therefore can't imagine him loving her or what. Because I was like, okay, every piece of logic here points to him loving you. Like, there, like there's no... there's If you are as smart as you supposedly are, I, like, don't see how you cannot reason your way into this. Like, why is it that she... Is just obsessed with the fact he doesn't love her and he lied to her and he can't tell her everything even though she admits that she's like a risk to have information about the rebellion. But she's like... And she admits that she doesn't usually think to ask the right questions. <laughs> and she just... She learns nothing in that relationship. Like even by the end of the book when they're sort of semi-resolved their arguments... I still don't feel like she's learned what's been going wrong with their relationship and what she's been doing wrong. There's like a real emotional immaturity and just like stupidity that doesn't make sense with what we're led to believe about her character. Right. And going back to what you said about how we're maybe being led to believe that she's supposed to be insecure. I mean, you can say a lot of things about Violet, but... I don't think you can say she's insecure. That's actually a character trait that is very much not present. She's very confident. She really is good at talking herself up when she's nervous and talking herself out of feelings of fear and insecurity. That's actually something I quite like about her. And so I think it was just kind of jarring to see her behave this way in the relationship with Zayden because she's so confident and so brave when she's like in battle or when she's being tortured, but then when she's with Zayden, she's not confident enough to be like, oh, you love me. Because he's, he says that to her. He's like, I oh, I know you love me. And I was like, yeah, that checks out. She clearly does. And so, uh, yeah, it was really frustrating to see the lack of emotional intelligence in that relationship when we're supposed to believe, again, that she's so intelligent. Yeah, I think that that was really hard for... It it was just, like, difficult to read because whenever she was having emotional struggles, I, as the reader, was not convinced of those struggles. And so I didn't empathize with her as a character, and it just sort of lost its resonance for me. No, and, I mean, I don't want to talk about this for too long because it'll just be us saying the same thing over and over again. But the, like, subplot with Kat and Violet, like, being jealous of her and having a conflict with her was so stupid and again i feel like does a disservice to violet's character because she is supposed to be so confident and so brave and she is seeing this girl and is like oh no zayden fucked her he must still want to fuck her he must not want me she must like like she gets so insecure and jealous out of nowhere and having all these trust issues that she has no reason to have and has never had with any other characters. And so there's no precedent for it. And so that whole plot line, again, it's just like is super tropey, just like yeah. other books. It and is. So it's super tropey. And I just want to say it's like a really toxic um, female dynamic to put in a book that is supposed to have this really empowered female character. And it just to see I hate it. Yeah, I hate, I hate, it does a disservice to, see to her. Two women unnecessarily fight over a man, right? A man because Kat could have been no an interesting character. 
<laughs> literally literally um should we talk about zayden we should talk about because, zayden uh, it was so frustrating because i really like want to love him as the love interest in this book and i mean like you said earlier he's not present for a lot of it so he kind of takes a back seat and when he is present his motivations are super unclear mm-hmm. and he's Like, he does nothing of substance. No, Ken's job is hot. Literally! There's nothing nothing else to him. We don't get to see him enough to see much action from him. Violet is so just, like, out of her mind that the entire time that they're together, it's, like, him being like, I love you, and her being like, I don't believe you, and he's like, why don't you trust me? And it's just over and over and over again, and I just wanted to, like, bash my brains in. (laughs) Literally. And, uh, yeah, his only job in this book was to be Violet's boyfriend and to protect her, and... It does a real disservice to his character because in mm-hmm. Fourth Wing, while we like he doesn't have a ton of personality, he never is like a particularly fleshed out character. But in Fourth Wing, his defining characteristic is that he really cares for the marked ones. He has taken on responsibility for them and he really takes that role very seriously. He's very protective of this group of kids. And then in this book, he's like, I'll throw it all away for you, Violet. You're the only one I worry about. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, (laughs) what? What? Like, he was having really good, interesting, pure dynamics with the other marked kids in Fourth Wing. And you start to see, like, some real relationship dynamics. And then that just, like, disappears in this book. I also think that we got to see Violet reckoning with Liam's death in this book. And it was actually pretty well done and it carried throughout the book. And we had some really fantastic moments in the torture scene with Violet and um, hallucinating Liam. And both Riley and I had said before we started recording that the torture scene was actually like our favorite scene in the book because of Liam in it. And with Zayden... Who supposedly, like, he and Liam were basically brothers. Yeah. And we see zero of Zayden reckoning with Liam's death. Zero. And it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that whenever he's with Violet, the only thing that he thinks about is, like, fighting with Violet and getting her to trust him. It's like, no, your best friend just died, like, a month ago. Yeah, no, it, I mean, this happens so often in YA, and again, this isn't supposed to be YA, but uh, where the the main love interest mm. is, like, really hot and mysterious and interesting and complex until they fall in love with the main character, and then they become super one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Ken's job is boyfriend. And that's that's what happens with Zayden in this book, which is really unfortunate, because I would have liked to see him reckon with Liam's death the way that Violet did. Why did we get, why was it so much more impactful to see Violet reckoning with this when she knew Liam for so much less time than Zayden did? Yeah. And why do we not ever see Zayden making any effort to protect the marked ones the way that he did in fourth wing? Like it, yeah, it was really frustrating to see that. 
Yeah, it doesn't really add up. And and honestly, we don't see any of the characters reckoning with Liam's death except for Violet and then Sloane. So, like, none of the marked ones are ever really... Like, it should be a much more, I think, collective experience because he was integrated into these, like, people's lives and they all cared about him, but it's just not really addressed at all no except for in that torture scene which i do want to talk about because this was the strongest part of the book for me uh the most emotional part is when violet is getting tortured by varish and she is trying so hard not to break and liam is there with her as a hallucination but i thought this was actually a really effective way for a character who has died to still play a role because he's like his voice is still there and violet acknowledges like this is a hallucination Uh but she also is like i'm okay with with this being a hallucination and i'm just gonna lean in because it's actually really helping me and it was really sweet to see him you know how comforting it was for her for him to be there talking her through it Uh and helping her stay strong well And it was such, I think the writing is also quite good in that section Mm -hmm. because I I felt like the torture scene with Liam was the only time that I really felt particularly emotional in this book. Agreed. I think it was the most somber and serious, which is interesting because it's, a lot of characters do die in this book and they are in a lot of serious situations, but... They just don't have a ton of impact, or at least they didn't have a ton of impact on me Mm -hmm. compared to this scene with a character who's already dead and has been dead for quite some time. And I Mm -hmm. I think that's quite interesting. I thought that that scene was really valuable to Violet's arc Mm -hmm. and added a lot of depth that we just did not get elsewhere in the book. Yeah, which was unfortunate because I saw the potential there. And and I mean, this reminds me that in the first book, the scene where Liam died is also one of the only scenes where I felt emotional. So Liam is just yeah. really carrying this series on his back. and Which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was way more invested in Liam than I was any other character, but... I know, and I wanted to be invested in Sloane because of Liam, but she was we super just, one-dimensional. Yeah, we didn't get anything on her. Maybe in the next book there, there's potential. Maybe. It was nice to see Violet going out of her way, though, to protect Sloane because of the promise she made to Liam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like that was a plus for her character. Agreed. Um, I just want to do like a cri- quick uh, rapid fire of characters whose motivations make no sense. Yep. Um, first one up, General Sorengale, who was Violet's mom. What was that? What was happening there? Still do not really understand why she sent Violet to the writer's quadrant because she was like, oh, she's a scribe. In two decades or something, she'll find out the truth and try to overthrow us. So I'm going to send her to the writer's quadrant where she'll die tomorrow. Also, what is her job? Does she run the school? Did she know about Varish? Is she fighting the war? We don't know. We don't know. It's so unclear. How much power does she have? We don't know. We don't know. Next one would be Varish. 
Why does he hate Violet? Why does he hate Violet? Oh, it's literally a rinse and repeat of Jack Barlow in the first book. Yep. Where he just hates Violet for absolutely no reason. No reason. He's just evil. Yeah. Right. Love a one-dimensional evil character with no depth <laughs> or nuance because that's super common in the world. Um, there's a lot to be said about your outlook on life if you think people are just evil for no good For reason. no reason. Um, Brennan, brought back from the dead. How? Why? Has that impacted you? Where? What, what's happening with you? How did he get hooked up with the rebellion? I have so many questions and not a single one was answered in this book. No, and I thought it would because him coming back was such a big reveal and plot twist in the first book. And then he's barely present in this book. I was going to say, I feel like um, Mira is like more present in this book than he is. Yeah, and I liked Mira. I did say I I like when she's there. She's funny and she takes no shit from Violet. And she took no shit when she discovered that Brennan was alive. And I really appreciated that about her. However, I don't like that we have no like understanding of what brennan has been through and why he made the choices he did yep he's like i had to hide it from you i had to why like why we don't know and then um cat why is she obsessed with violet why is she obsessed with zayden she wants a crown that doesn't exist what yeah who yeah classic like hot mean girl archetype <laughs> you put in the notes rebecca yarrow set feminism back 50 years with this character <laughs> it's true it's true it's so true because she reminds me of a character like zoya in the shadow and bone trilogy which mind you was written like 10 years ago mm-hmm. so we should be past and is ya that and is ya and the author has much improved upon her writing since then and developed Zoya in such a way that she is no longer that classic trope of a hot mean girl. Um, so I, I hate it that why did, why did we have to bring this trope in? Yeah. Added nothing to the story? Nope. Actually was a big detriment. And its cat could have been interesting. That's a thing. She could have been. I know. I felt like... Uh, maybe in the next book, because I felt like they were kind of trying to do something when classic Violet saves Kat's life and now Kat is indebted to her. Of course. Wow, we never saw that coming. could have seen that coming. But <laughs> they, yeah, maybe maybe in the next book. TBD. Also, TBD. Um, Violet's dad. What? What was happening we there? We know nothing. Yeah. Because why was he like giving Violet books about the venom? And then her mom was actively, like, trying to keep the secret of the venom, but supposedly they're each other's greatest loves. I don't know. Huh? Didn't add up. Um, Also, one thing that occurred to me while we were talking that we didn't mention at all when we were talking about the magic system being made up as we go, but, um, and Darna being the seventh mystical dragon species what her color is is camouflage no context no background no no why is she a chameleon also not violet being the first dragon rider to have two dragons one who's like the world's largest black dragon and the other who's a mystical super super rare whatever color changing dragon i was like come on how super special can you get hate it i know i know 
And if Violet wasn't so actively dumb, like if she actually was really intelligent, it's like I could see why she's super special and why this special dragon would choose her. But she's so dumb. She's so dumb. <laughs> it don't make no sense. Also, the the luminary. What is that? What is it? How does it work? They just talked about it so much and then proceeded to tell us nothing about it. Killed me. I'm haunted by it. Sam is really haunted by it. So haunted by it. I bring this up with every single person I talk to about this book. I'm like, okay, but what was up with that luminary though? <laughs> we were she was reading this book when we were at Y'all Fest and I wasn't reading it yet. And that's the one thing, the one non-spoilery thought she chose to bring up with me is she's like, there's this thing called the luminary, and they're not <laughs> explaining what it is. <laughs> it's a ring of blue stones. Um, why? What does it do? Why is it needed to create the alloy? Why are there only two of them? Why does this one weird guy in Greece have it? Yeah, we do not know. <laughs> well, should we talk about some characters we do like? Yeah, real quick. We do have some characters that we like. Number one, we got our boy Riddick, who continues to be the only comic relief in this book. No one else is funny. Just him. No. No, and it's actually frustrating because I feel like Rebecca Yaros has the potential to write good banter because Rydock, as I call him, you can, I don't know how to pronounce that shit, uh, he's, he's funny, he's got great banter with the rest of the squad, and he's arguably the only character that has a unique voice. Agreed. Violet and Zayden have the same voice, yeah. which is really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, no, they do. Maybe that's why it's so cringe when he like talks dirty to her. Because what if this is all just in oh her imagination? Oh. She's like been in a coma this whole time. <laughs> just Zayden's just like make up a guy, and he's hot. Yeah. No, this we're, this is so off the rails. But I pulled a quote from Zayden. <laughs> Are you going to read the whole thing? Can I? I'm I feel scared. like if I was forced to read this. Everyone else has to be forced to be reminded of this. Yes, read because it Because I took love. a photo of this quote with my phone and I did the little markup thing on, you know, on the iPhone, uh-huh. you did the markup and I wrote with my finger, I want to kill myself. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. I want you to read it out loud because uh, one of my friends has been listening to this book on audiobook and she was like, listen, it's so painful it's so hard oh and so now i want you to read it out loud and just imagine if you listen to this whole book imagine try to imagine this is like a 24 year old saying this oh my god violet it's part plea part moan and the war in his eyes makes my chest tighten you have no idea how badly i want to peel these pants off your amazing ass and fuck you until you're hoarse from screaming my name so limp from orgasms that you can't fathom leaving my bed ever again and every tree around here goes up in flames from lightning strikes until you remember exactly how good we are together i th- this is it's so overdone like it's he's so supposed overdone. to be this hot mysterious guy and he has the ex- he says the exact same type of corny ass shit that Violet says all the time, as if he's fifteen. I, he's fifteen and desperate, and like, if a man said this to me, I oh, would God. be like so convinced that he was like collecting restraining my, order. Restraining order. He's like collecting my hair and sniffing it when I'm not around. Like he's like <laughs> so like it's so creepy and intense. 
and and corny so corny it's to just, me it's just corny as fuck it's so in your face it's like oh dude get a grip on yourself you know yeah, all that to say, Violet and Zayden have the exact same voice, say the exact same type of stupid shit that makes this book really painful to read. But our boy Rydock comes yeah. in here with clever little quips and comic relief and, you know, uplifting little funny pep talks in moments of stress. And so we love him for that. We love him for being the only unique character in this story. You know who else we love is Jessinia. Who is yes. actually the only smart character in the book. <laughs> so true. <laughs> no, that's so true. Because I actually, there was one passage where, like, I think Violet's talking to her and um, telling her, like, oh, you haven't been recording all the requests that I've been making of all these books? And Jacinia's like, no, I played it off as, like, I'm doing a research project. And so in that moment, you realize, like, Jacinia is smart enough to, like, recognize that something's been off from the beginning and smart enough to come up with a convincing lie so that nobody is on to her. Also. And I loved that. That it didn't occur to Violet until this moment that maybe she should be thinking about. Right. Also, this this is not about Jacinia. I'm so sorry. I just can't (laughs) believe that Violet drank that stupid potion three times. Oh, my God. I'm like, sniff your damn Drink Stop taking you drink beverages them. from strangers. I That's mean, fantasy 101. It? It's like, come on. <laughs> Anytime she's like, I took a, a sip and it tasted a little bit funny. I'm like, oh, Girl. is this the first time you've tasted a poison? <laughs> Which is also funny because she's supposed to be like the master of poisons or whatever. Oh, I know. She just gets poisoned Clearly so many not. times. Anyways. Yeah, we love Jacinia. We love Jacinia. I also think her, like, cute little budding romance with Sawyer is cute. I think it's cute, this, like, sort of mini running joke that he doesn't know sign language. And he's, yeah. like, they're, like, sometimes he's teaching him the wrong things or he's, like, signing weird things to her. Um, I think that's really sweet and endearing. Um, Dane is also better in this book. Yes, Dane, uh, I actually thought he was interesting. I was going to say, I think Dane is an interesting character. And I think that he is one of the few characters that makes sense to me. I would like agree. His logic checks out. Like he behaves the way a normal human should behave. <laughs> yes. And he doesn't say juvenile ass shit all the time. He no. actually sounds like an adult when he talks. Oh my god, are we team Dane? Oh but god, not for maybe. Violet. I'm not team Dane for Violet, but I want Dane to be with no. a hottie. I that maybe we just haven't met yet. Would 100% agree. No, I liked that we we realized that like okay, he did make a mistake by reading her memories in the last book, but he didn't do it with bad intentions. He didn't really realize what he was doing and he regrets it and so he's trying to figure a way out of it while also warring with this complex he has about like being a rule follower Mm -hmm. and and i liked seeing him kind of overcome that agreed agreed i i actually thought we got some real arc for him some depth and also a little bit more complexity that we don't get from very many of the characters a lot of the characters are very much so i'm fully good or i am fully evil and dane is one of the few where i buy in that he 
is just like unsure of what good is. So true. I really like that about him. Um, Rhiannon I liked because we got to see her step into a leadership role. And yeah. so I feel like we got to see her in a... Because so much of this book, especially the first half, was like a rinse and repeat of Fourth Wing. Mm-hmm. It was all the same stuff. They're in school. They're learning stuff. They have a squad leader, whatever. But Rhiannon is actively taking a different role in their second year. And so she's gone more, but when she is present, she's also clearly smart and she can tell that Violet is hiding stuff from her. Mm-hmm. And when Violet reveals to her what she has been hiding, she's really understanding and springs into action and makes a plan. I just love a girl who makes a plan. Agreed. You know who never makes a plan? Violet. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think she's still a little flat. Like she's yeah. sort of one dimensional, um, but I always appreciate the role that she plays in like the plot and in Violet's sphere. Mm-hmm. And I, I would just love to see more of her like personality come out because right now she doesn't. I would agree. Have a ton of it. Like you know that she's like good and a good friend and she's nice and she's a good leader, but like, give me a little bit. Want to see a little bit more? A little bit more, yeah. Yeah, I really feel like that's where some of the good bones are in this series is mm-hmm. specifically with this little squad dynamic that they yeah. have going. Because like Sawyer has the potential to be a more interesting character because we know that he had to repeat his first year because he didn't bond the first year and that was something he was really insecure about. And unfortunately, there's not much more to his character than that, but there could be. Mm-hmm. And I like the squad dynamic as it is. Anytime the four of them were like doing their little huddle, like we're not going to die today, I was like, Yes, you're right. So true. Because <laughs> nobody gets to die in this book. No. They'll bring you back to life. I know. Do we think Violet's mom's going to come back to life in the next book? Mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think, I think I'm convinced, which I could be wrong. I think I'm convinced that like you have to be Venom to come back to life. Okay. Speaking of that though, should we talk about the final twist at the end? Oh yeah. I'm actually really curious about your thoughts. I have to say, I'm intrigued. I'm also intrigued. Zayden, you know, he is such a flat character this book, and he's just like, I love Violet 100% of the time. And now he's going to have a different internal battle that he's going to be fighting. So even if we're going to force him into this I love Violet box, that's going to be hard to keep up when Mm -hmm. he clearly, I think being Venon, we realized from his POV that you have this really, really strong like thirst or desire for power, and mm-hmm. it's really hard to go without satiating it. I think we're going to see him battle with that, and I'm excited to see. I mean, I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, I also think there's a lot of potential. I'm hoping, I think a dual POV could be interesting, because mm-hmm. we did get Zayden. When we got Zayden's POV, it was very informative to me. Um, Had we not gotten that, I don't, I think I would have been pretty confused about the Venon thing. Um, But his POV offered a lot of clarity. And I think, like you said, if we're having a lot of internal struggle, which I think we will, I think it's important to have his POV. That being Mm -hmm. said, kind of tying it all the way back to the beginning, I think having him become Venon certainly opens up the conversation of what magic system is at play here. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I do worry that it's only going to get more confusing now. But maybe not. Maybe this is actually going to be the thing that provides the clarity for the magic system that that we really need. So I'm curious. I think it could be a really... I think it was a creative twist. I think it was an interesting twist. I would agree. I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I didn't see it coming either. So yeah, I... I have questions, but I will choose to withhold them until the next book. I'll I'll give Rebecca Yaros a chance to address my questions before I start raising them. Yes. And something that I think, honestly, one of the biggest problems with this book is just that it was rushed. Because I think you and I both talked about some elements that we liked and that we feel like were good bones. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's there. Like, the plotting is there. The characters are there. We just, I think... we there was not enough time and care put into writing this story and not enough editing to make it, you know, a really well-paced, concise, enjoyable read. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that the next book is not coming out in six months. I'm worried that it is. I know. She hasn't announced anything. Yeah, I was going to say, I tried to find any information on when the next one would come out and I haven't seen anything, but I think especially if the next book is going to be as long as Iron Wing iron flame excuse me was it definitely needs to be at least a year if not a year and a half because iron flame was significantly longer than fourth wing and i don't know that it needed to be that much longer to be honest no so i i'm hoping that they take their time for sure especially at the editing stage yeah yeah for sure because i really feel like you know if this is going to be a five book series like she said it was the fact that we have a lot of questions in book two, I mean, that happens yeah. in long series. So, like, I'm okay with it if we get everything more explained and tied together at the end. But I just, I had had hopes that the second book would answer some of my questions about Fourth Wing. And it, instead it created more questions, which makes me skeptical that yeah. it's just going to get worse. But I don't know. Maybe she'll you know, see some feedback. We also know that, did you see that this is going to get an adaptation, a screen adaptation? I did. Um, which I will say, I think in some ways this plot fits better for a TV show than it does a book. I would agree. Lots of action, cool visuals, dragons, rough dialogue. Yeah. And maybe, you know, we could get an on-screen version of these characters that's like, because if we're not in Violet's head, maybe she'll be a little more tolerable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I will be really seated for whatever comes next. Yep. Stay tuned. Um, did your final rating change? No, I don't think so. But yeah, I, I feel good about 4.5. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. All right. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe follow us wherever you listen to podcasts spotify apple podcasts google podcasts wherever give us a five star rating and review if you like us that really helps the podcast and uh if you want to get in contact with us we're on instagram at the great obsession pod you can also find our email in our show notes and you can tune in every tuesday when we upload a new episode so stay tuned to see what we'll talk about next all right bye bye